Hello and welcome to another episode of the Back Check Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good, how about you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And today we are doing a slightly different thing than we've been doing in the past, which is we are now doing classes of uh, Hall of Fame inductees instead of our old formula of uh, um, currently eligible inducted old-timer because we sort of ran out of eligible players. There's only a few left. Um, and so we're starting with the class, well, sort of starting with the class of 2005. We, of course, did some people from class of 2006 and 2007 recently. Um, and that class is only two players, Cam Neely and Valerie Karlamov. So we've added a third player to talk about who is an eligible player. So it's like a hybrid of our old style episode and our new version of episodes. Um, and we're going to start off with that player. That's Peter Bondra, uh, who played from 1990 to 2007 and scored 500 goals, which is now, as far as I can tell, the second most by a Slovak player ever um and has a, almost 900 points which is third most by slovak um and he's also third all-time among slovaks in games but the reason we are talking about him really um is because of those 500 goals and because he did it in an era where that was relatively hard to do because only it was his only his first couple seasons that he played that the league was really wide open. And, and aside from 93, which he had a, quite a good year, he was, you know, his peak was a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, though it was all over, his numbers are a little all over the place, but, um, so as usual, the first off, we are going to talk about the draft and like any player from the, uh, the block, uh, of the time he was drafted super super low he was drafted uh, 155th or 56th overall something like that uh 56th sorry and um and <laughs> and because i assume i assume no one thought he was coming over basically yeah um and uh and despite that he is uh fourth in points in his draft uh behind only um Yager, Kachuk and Doug Waite. He is even ahead of Owen Nolan, um, who was, of course, the number one pick. And so uh, he looks pretty good draft-wise. He's uh, third in goals, despite playing, like, you know, 200, sorry, 120 games fewer than uh, Keith Kachuk, who is second in goals. And um, he's also, what is he? He's 11th in assists, because this is Peter Ronder we're talking about, who is, you know not known as a passer yes yeah well it's uh, i think just reading a stat of the of the where he became the 37th player to um to hit uh, 500 goals and he had the lowest point total of those 37 because he didn't pick yeah. up a lot of assists yes yeah and um he uh like he, he, you can sort of tell his value is is different when you look at or or like uh, the, the hockey reference thing that tries to capture value point shares, it has him as the sixth best player, despite the fact that he's you know got 500 goals, and you know he's behind Yager, Brodeur, Zubov, Kachuk, and Pavan. And I mean he's 
he's ahead of uh, Sidor um, and Owen Nolan, but I mean, I don't know. I think there are definitely people who would argue about Nolan anyway, and and Doug Waite um, being better players. Of course, Doug Waite is lower on the point share list because he just has way more assists and way fewer um, goals because yeah. point shares favorite goals. Um, so we looked at uh, 57 players to play in at least 1,000 games between 1990 and 2007, and Bondra is 7th in goals. He's 4th in goals per game, so he's a top 5 player in goals per game of his era, but he's 35th in assists and assists per game. He's 28th in points, and he's 21st in points per game. And so I think the big question going as we go through this will be like, does being like elite in like one thing, you know, yeah, matter enough? Because like fourth in goals per game, uh, in an era is pretty amazing. But then like he's so far back in assists. Yeah, well he's a sniper, right? Like that's what yeah. he did. He, his uh, his job was not to do that. And I, you know, he, I remember the era where he was playing with Adam Oates, and so he's just getting the puck all the time, and his job was to shoot the puck every time he got it, pretty much. Um, he was a really good player, really fast, and um, you know, like n- not sort of speedy in the I'm getting breakaways all the time kind of way, more of the like I'm flying down the wing and I'm gonna get open enough to tee up a big shot. And he had a he had a really good shot, so he scored a lot of goals like that. Yeah, I mean, I um, I don't remember him super well uh, for whatever reason. I, I guess I didn't watch a lot of Capital C. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that anybody did, except for that year they went to the cup final. Other than that, I yeah. mean, it was... Um, so I like I don't I I just remember him like I remember seeing him on the ice, but I don't really remember anything about his game particularly. Um, he had a his 82 game average not adjusted is 68 points, so that is definitely not as good as many of the players we've talked about. His three year peak though uh, in the late 90s, this is a lot more impressive. Is 88 points over 82 games and this is in the dead puck era so that is really impressive yeah um the overall career numbers are not so much he's also fourth slovak all time in playoff goals so that's something i guess Mm -hmm. uh when you adjust for era it of course helps him it bumps his uh, 82 game average up eight points to 76 points so it makes him look a lot better and 44 goals per 82 games if you adjust for era which is pretty good um he isn't in the in the top 25 of any adjusted per game category, but if you set the qualifier to 820 games played or, or 10 seasons, Bonder is 15th all-time in adjusted goals per game, which again is pretty good, but that's eliminating a lot of older players and players who were injured. Um, and uh, versus X, the uh, the hockey's the hockey history board on hockey's future there adjustment for era likes him a little bit less than hockey references adjusted stats but that's in part because the adjusted stats uh, for hockey reference really do bump up people who played in the dead puck era there's only one trade it's not very exciting <laughs> it's uh he was uh he was 36 years old he played his entire career for uh the capitals and he was traded to ottawa um not quite at the trade deadline, but near the trade deadline for Brooks like and a second round pick that resulted in nobody. Um, so that's a, you know, nothing burger of a trade basically. Cause like Bonder was old, really old. And like was, uh, you know, like, like became a decent player. I think you could, you could argue Washington wins it cause like had a career, 
but like he also like you know scored 20 goals a couple times i have more times than i remembered three two years in a row i didn't remember him scoring 20 goals three years in a row but he did um he had 50 points twice but like yeah so i mean washington got something for like old bondra but like you know at this point he was uh he's in the mid 30s and uh like there's a pretty significant drop off if you look at his numbers for the last the teams he played in the last year and a two years two and a half years sorry of his career the points per game are a lot you know there's a significant drop off you know he's he's down to 0.6 per game for Ottawa and Atlanta and then he's 0.4 per game for Chicago which I don't even remember him coming back with the Blackhawks after the lockout frankly um, I remember him on Atlanta I have no memory of him on the on the Blackhawks. Um, yeah, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, he would have won the, the Richard Trophy twice had it existed. Mm-hmm. He, uh, I believe it was introduced the year after he would have won his second. <laughs> so poor him. Because um, he led the league in goals in 95 and he led the league in goals again in 98. Um, and uh, he's also... Uh, in 98, he was a top 10 player by point shares. That's the only year that happened to him. Uh, but he was a top 10 offensive player twice in 97 and 98. So, you know, briefly among the better offensive players in the league. But it didn't really last that long. Uh, he also he only led the league in goals per game once in 95. In 98, he, I think he was second. Um, I don't know who would have been first. Korea or somebody like that, probably. No, he's fourth, actually, in 98. So he's just healthy, unlike some some other players. Um, he really doesn't have a lot of other uh, like he, he didn't do anything long enough to rack up any of those like you know scored as many goals as many times sort of things. Uh, he did make yeah. five All Star game appearances and he won a Rookie of the Month, but no end of season, um, no end of season uh, All Star teams, and then. The NHL playoffs, I mean, he had one team that was good, as Bill mentioned. The Capitals went to the final in 98. And by points, because we that was the last year they didn't record ice time officially. So we don't know how many minutes he was playing. But he, despite being one of the stars of that team, he actually uh, was like, um, I'm just going to look it up. I think he was, he was like fifth in points. He did not have a great playoff at all. He, was, he did miss four games. But, like, uh, Adam Oates outscored him handily, uh, as did uh, Joe Juno. Um, so it was, it was not Bondra's uh, fine, most dominant performance of his career. 12 points in 17 games and uh, only seven goals, which, like, I think co-led the team. But there were, like, Juno, Bondra, Gonchar, and Zadnik tied for the team leading goals and if you're scoring as many goals as Sergey Gonchar maybe you're not doing enough <laughs> I, I mean I um, that year I I watched the Leafs if the I don't even know if the Leafs made the playoffs that year or it was the year after that they their brief drought ended their mid 90s drought but like I I did not watch the uh, that that series I've I've seen I, I watched a lot of hockey back in those days. Like it was rare that I missed an entire playoff series without catching at least one or two games of that series. Even and this is before the internet, where you can watch games like from any region. I just watched, yeah. you know, 
hockey night in Canada every single night that they showed playoff games. Um, uh, and I used to have an old antenna, so I used to be able to tune in like NBC, but you know, get get some of the American feeds as well. Um, so I watched a quite quite a bit of that era of hockey. I do remember that Washington team being very good, and I remember not liking them very much, but I knew that they were damn good. I think I just didn't like Colesy for whatever reason. Just thought he was like overrated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I remember Bondra being the you know sort of the trigger man for that team where it's like you know if he's scoring they're winning and if he's not scoring uh, they're gonna be in a bit of trouble and he he didn't score enough um well i mean they weren't beating the red wings anyway but like nobody was beating that red wings team (laughs) but um it's it's interesting because he uh um you know it's just like he would have been there prior to adam out showing up he was their star at this point Oh, yeah. And uh, he just did not. I mean, like I said, I don't know the ice time, but he did not have a good playoff, uh, given that he was their star player and he was like, what did I say, fourth in team, fifth, fifth in the team scoring, which is just not, uh, it's not great. Yeah. He had other playoffs where he was, you know, dynamite, um, like a few first round exits for the Capitals, uh, where he was over a point per game, and including one where he shot thirty eight percent. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Six goals in seven games. Yeah, he well, basically you know, he had a great shot, so if he got yeah, it off, he was yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? I was not watching the '92 Capitals, so thirty-eight uh, <laughs> percent is just ridiculous. Well, that was sustainable, certainly. Um, but here's here's the really fascinating thing about uh about Peter Bondra, which I was not expecting. And I honestly, I don't know what I was doing in 2002 beyond like, I I was, uh, I I was really big into hockey in 2002, but I don't remember this at all, but Slovakia won the world championships in 2002. Oh, really? Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, I, I was trying to, I was trying to think. I'm looking at the dates. So if we would, we're done school and we're back at home, and so I guess I, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't watch. I would have been watching the NHL playoffs, but I guess I wasn't watching the World Championships because I don't know. Um, I don't remember this, but basically, if you know, on the one hand, we have Bonder not really showing up in the in the NHL playoffs, but he he was the, uh, you know, he he was the. Um, tournament all summer for their team and and uh um Shatan had a had a slightly better uh tournament uh, but i think they both finished as tournament all-stars i don't know if Shatan won the mvp or not i'm just trying to see um if there was an mvp yeah, yeah it was Shatan and bondra oh, were the two forwards uh and then richard lintner um was the uh it was like a journeyman Angeler, I think, who was uh, was tournament all star for defense for them. But yeah, Shatan had thirteen points, Bondra had nine points, but Bondra had seven goals in nine games. Wow. And uh plus twelve. Um somehow. Uh presumably they were only using him in certain situations. And and they won. So he has a world championship, which is um a surprise. He also has a bronze. Uh the next year they won bronze. So that Slovakian team for a couple of years there was among the best teams in the world. And, uh, he was, he was a big part of it. So that's one thing to think about with his legacy is like, I mean, I didn't even remember them winning, 
Um, yeah, well, I remember like at a certain point, because it's always sort of the big six countries, right? Like yeah. Canada, the, Amer- the Americans, the Russians, the Soviets, the Finns, and we usually put the Czechs in there. But there have been some times where the Slovaks sort of like might have displaced, uh, you know, either Finland or the Czech Republic as being like that other team. So they were kind of always number seven. And then the eighth one would rotate Germany, Kazakhstan, and... Uh, well, the thing is also... Oh, once Switzerland probably, you know? Once Czechoslovakia broke in half, yes. the, we always thought of the Czechs before they broke in half. The Czechs... We called the Czech Czechoslovaks the Czechs, but like once they broke in half, they you know both of those teams got harmed by that. I mean, I, oh, I'm absolutely. sure I'm sure everybody in those countries is happy about, or many people in those countries is happy about what happened politically. But like hockey wise, they they really got hampered because they used to have a, just a, a ton of talent for the population they had, and then suddenly they're like they got half as many. Or I, I mean well, Slovakia, I don't even. I'm if not you, sure. If you think about the the teams from that era where Slovakia was actually quite good, um, or at least like very competitive, and then you take the Czech Republic, who you know won in '98 and was always a player in like uh, you have to put them in the top three nations in the world at that point. If they were together as a country, and you add guys like Bondra and Miroshatan to and and Zdeno Chara eventually to you know, Hashik being in nets, like they would have been so hard to beat. Like, I don't know that Canada would have been able to beat them a lot of times. Like they, I actually, I was saying this to, I think my dad at one point, we were, we were just sort of talking about, you know, different Olympics and stuff. I'm like, yeah, good thing Czechoslovakia is not still together. We'd have a hell of a time beating them. <laughs> I remember good. having that conversation. Maybe it was with you or with uh, one of our friends or something. I remember having that conversation in university. Um you know, thinking like, wow, they would be so much better. Uh, so I just double while you were talking, I looked up their population, and, and Slovaks have about half the population of Czechia. So, like the it all things being equal, which they're not obviously, the Czechs do get more of the the players, but yeah. um, it's still it's still impressive. I just I kind of wish I had watched this tournament because I have no memory of watching the tournament and uh, I would have been really excited provided they weren't playing Canada. They were playing Russia. So I would have totally been rooting for the Slovaks. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Czechoslovakia has a really big hockey history of probably the oldest one in Europe. Um, that's yeah. not, um, that's not, uh, you know, because, because uh, you know, when the Soviet union, you know, after world war two sort of took over that whole, Eastern Bloc and all those countries and Czechoslovakia fell under under Soviet rule. The Czechs were the ones who had learned from Canada how to play hockey the Canadian way and had become quite good at it. And then the Russians basically, you know, did, did you know, I don't think they had too much of a choice, but they're like, yeah, teach us how to play hockey like you. We want to be we want to be the best at it kind of thing. So that's, you know, that's a lot of their hockey knowledge came from Czechoslovakia who had gotten it from Canada in the 1930s. Yeah. So it's kind of like a passing on of the best ways to play the game. And then obviously they evolved their style of play completely different from Canada, but the initial sort of passing on of knowledge of that went from, you know, Canada to the Czechs to uh, the Russians eventually. So it's like, and then of course they improved on some things and figured out different ways they wanted to play and brought us to where we are today in terms of, you know, every country has a different way of playing, but they're all really good at it now. They just play different styles. So, yeah. So, how do you feel about Bondra? I don't know. Like, I didn't know that he'd gotten over 500 goals, but I remember there was a stretch where, I want to say for a good 
six to seven years that he was one of the top goal scorers in the NHL, like, like pretty regularly he was getting 40, 50 goals. Um, I think, you know, if he had a down year, he was somewhere in the thirties, but he was consistently scoring. I just didn't know he had so few assists. I had no clue that he was like, I never pass the puck. I just shoot, but you know, he scored 50 goals twice and he had 30 goals nine times, which is a lot. It's, and especially for the era in which he played, that's, that's extra impressive. Um, and you know, he probably could have put up even better numbers had he played in the more freewheeling era. Um, but you know, to be a skill player in that type of, you know, unless he was a complete defensive liability, um, it's, it's a really impressive total. You know, there's not too many guys who were putting up stats like he was. And I think you said he was number, number four in goals per game during his uh, playing yep. career. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's really impressive. Like that's, you know, you're a top five scorer in the league. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, unfortunately I didn't watch the Capitals, so I don't remember whether his defensive liability. I feel like, um, based on it it's it's like it, so his his i know plus listen i anyone who's going to freak out this i know plus minus is a team stat i know there are problems with it but he he only has like two years where he was really a really bad minus yeah um and both of those years i'm gonna take a wild guessing that washington was terrible yeah well, uh, washington was either they had a few good years, like when Bondra was at his peak and they had added uh, players like uh, Adam Oates. They had, you know, they had Colzig and Nets, so they had like a competent goalie because I think that was usually Washington's issue was they just didn't get the goaltending, except yeah. for that like streak where Jim Carrey won 14 straight games or whatever it was. Um, yeah, they, they, they just never seemed to have like a complete team. And then they got, you know, they had Gonchar, they had Bondra, they had, you know, sort of like a good, a good player at almost every position. It was like, okay, this team is pretty solid now. Um, so, uh, you know, I, but when Washington was bad, they were always like bad, bad. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but it, I don't remember him being like a player where, you know, he's on the ice be like, okay, well, he's just out there to score goals and he's cherry picking and that kind of stuff. That's not the memory I have of him, but maybe somebody who followed his career more closely might say, yeah, he did sort of uh, always try to get on two on ones and that kind of stuff. But I, I just seem to remember him being a very good skater and having a big shot. And so, um, using those skills to get himself open enough to release the, the shot was sort of the way he scored a lot of goals. At least in my memory, I always like picture him coming down the wing and firing a big shot, but yeah. maybe, maybe I'm not remembering it well either. It's not like I'm a Capitals fan and I probably only would see him play if he was on hockey night in Canada on Saturday night or uh, during the playoffs. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about his case for the Hall of Fame? Um, I'm right on the fence. I think he has a case. Um, if we're going by the hall that we that we have, you know, with uh, Kevin Lowe being a member, then yes, I think I can probably stand him being in. Um, I think I would need somebody to, to argue with me and to tell me that he was really one-dimensional and if it wasn't for him playing with these players that he's not that great of a goal scorer. But to me, I, I'm like, you're over 500 goals during that era. I think he's got a case. I think he has a case. I think you're right. He's got a case, particularly based on who is currently in the hall. I'm I'm gonna lean no, um, because I think for one thing the like lack of assists is really really glaring. That's and, to me, that's the only reason he wouldn't get it. Yeah, and and honestly, I just if I had better memories of him playing, 
and like I felt like he, you know, if I felt like I could like feel him on the ice and in a way, um, you know, maybe maybe I'd feel differently. But I I really I I remember like I remember him in a Thrasher's uniform briefly. I think I remember him on the Senators, and I I remember the odd Capitals game where I might have seen him, but I don't remember anything about him stylistically. And so I'm like, I'm not I have no uh, you know. Uh, stake in this fight basically like i i i think the only thing for me that says to me he belongs is that like top five and points per game for his era everything else i'm sort of like eh. i think he's very much on the fence i could i could definitely be argued like four especially based on precedent you know i think there's there's guys who are worse who are um who are in but I yeah I'm I'm not upset that he's not in currently, um, and uh, yeah I mean I, I I think it would be I mean unfortunately the precedent has been set and I think he probably deserves to be in based on the current other players in there but I uh, yeah I'm not I'm not upset that he's not in. Um, so now we're gonna go to somebody. Uh, who is in the Hall of Fame. He was inducted in 2005 and who is known for being a dominant goal scorer as well, though he has the odd... Also has more goals than assists, but he has the odd... I think percentage-wise... I'm just going to check. I'm going to compare Cam Neely and Peter Bonder's assist per game out of curiosity. Because um, they're both quite low. Uh, so... so Bonders is 0.36, which is really low, and Neely's is 0.41, which is still pretty low. Um, so Cam Neely is, of course, uh, he played in the 80s and into the 90s. He played 13 seasons, parts of 13 seasons, we should say, because he missed a lot of games, especially at the end of his career. Um, he has less than 400 goals, and he has less than 700 points, but of course he did that in only 726 games. And he, importantly, he is 14th all-time in goals per game. Um, now, he was drafted in 1983, and so we're going to take a look at the draft. Just bring it up. And he was drafted ninth overall um, by the Canucks, which... I'm sure this is all, especially when we get to the trades, Bill, I'm sure this is going to make you uh, kind of mad. Um, <laughs> so, um, because he missed so many games, because his career was so short, it's kind of, it doesn't sound great when you compare him to his draft class, um, but he is where he should be in terms of points and plus minus and point shares. Uh, he was ninth drafted ninth overall, and he's ninth in points. He's ninth in plus minus, and he's ninth in point shares. It's worth noting he has 28th in games played in his draft, which is like really, really low. Um, well, he had all those knee injuries, right? I'm yeah. sure we're going to get to that, but but like 28th, it's like. It's it's I, I just I, I I know I mean I know he had all the injury trouble but it just it strikes me as like that is way 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 down um and and is more impressive that he is fifth in goals you know well yeah I mean the, like that's the thing too like if you look at 
you look at Cam Neely and you take away all the time he missed for all those injuries, like he had knee injuries almost from the start of his career, even when he was in Vancouver, he had knee, knee injuries, um, which I didn't know about because I was four. Um, <laughs> like I actually was living in Vancouver when Neely played for them, uh, but I was not old enough to uh, be the rabid fan that I am now. Um, so like, but he, he, even then he missed like training camp with a knee injury and like he, it all started even before he got traded. So um it's really unfortunate but when you look at how dominant he was when he did play like if if he had been able to stay healthy and had like a long career like a guy like steve eiserman or one of those guys his numbers would be right up there for sure so uh i I, uh, he's going to be another case where i think and we both agree on this a player should not be punished for the fact that they were often injured it's more the performance when they were able to play yeah so speaking of of that um we looked at uh players who played in at least eight seasons, which eight full seasons between 83 and 96, uh, which is only 656 games. And that's 159 players. And of them, Neely doesn't look great when you do totals. He's only 19th in goals. He's 81st in assists and he's 41st in points. But if you do points per game, he looks better. He's eighth in goals per game. So he's one of the top 10 players. But funnily enough, his points per game are not great. 28th and 70th in assists per game. Oh. Yeah, I was also surprised. Yeah, that's like perplexing to me because, you know, maybe it was just the part that I remember of his career was because he was a power forward, right? And they typically blossom a little later. I remember him from like the late 90s, uh, sorry, late 80s, early 90s Bruins where they were in yeah. like three or four cup finals. Um, well, it's and, worth noting that he, his points per game in Boston is over double what it was in Vancouver. Oh, yeah, it had to be, yeah. They, they traded him before he really became what he what he was going to be, yeah. right? So Yeah. No, I just, it, I think that's worth noting because, like, his Boston year, or his Vancouver years, sorry, are, are like, you know, they're, for the 80s, they're not great. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's like, it's like the thing that almost every team does where they, they give up on that, like, first round power forward that just hasn't quite blossomed yet, and then they go to the next team and they're amazing. And you're like, how did we trade this guy? They're like, yeah, well, he wasn't doing that yet. They're like, takes them a little while to sort of learn how to like use their size and their hands and sort of figure out, you know, the sort of the power game and where to go. And just, you know, it's sometimes just like flat out. They have great games and they have games where they don't seem very interested in that kind of stuff. So uh, same sort of thing happened with Bertuzzi, right? He was. Yeah. That's who I was thinking of when you were saying that. Long Island had flashes in Long Island, then he came to Vancouver. Um, he uh, he almost got traded at one point. Um, uh, I think they only, I can't remember who it was, I think it was, they were either going to, they were going to trade him or Nasland. I can't remember, one of them broke their legs, so they basically, they couldn't afford to get rid of another forward at that moment, but they were going to, like, move them. And then the next year, they both, like, clicked and took off, and... You know, for, for, for Bertuzzi, it was like everybody would see him score awesome goals when he was in Long Island. They only do it like once every two or three games uh, to have a good game where he played. He was engaged. And then it was like he got a little bit older and started to think about the game more seriously. And, you know, stop just palling around with the guys in the back of the plane. And then all of a sudden he found his game where every game he was dominant. But it takes seems to take those guys a long time before they finally sort of figure it out. And even guys who a guy like Patrick Maroon, who's not a star player, but is like a use a really useful power forward on like your third line, or a guy like Zach Cassian, it takes them a really long time, power forwards for whatever reason, to like figure out how to like use their 
size and toughness to their advantage. And it's just, it's a weird thing, but it's, I'm always like super like reticent to give up on a guy who has like a power forward type game. So like, if you trade him too early, you are so going to regret it if he bangs out. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. That's why well, I'm no, pretending right now. Like he's, he drives me crazy, but then I'm like, if he ever puts it all together, holy crap! You know, like you can see, you can see the flashes, and it drives you crazy. Um, you know, like a guy like Lucic who came in and was like instantly a power forward, very young. That's like almost never happens. Even uh, even Aginla took a little while to grow into the dominant player that he was. Um, yeah. So. Um. So yeah, I was I was totally thinking of Bertuzzi when you were mentioning. When you're talking about Neely, um, so uh, his 82 Neely's 82 game average is actually is 79 points, so slightly less than a point per game, but it's 44 goals per 82 games, which is quite impressive. Um, his three-year peak is incredible; it's 115 points per 82 games, plus 29. But it's worth noting that he didn't ever play a full season in that period of time, um, and it's possible that his numbers are at least a little bit skewed uh, by that. We will never know um, yeah. because he basically he played, uh, I don't know, he played slightly more than a normal full season over three seasons. Um, his playoff numbers, he has 57 goals, 87 points in 93 games. So he's like, he's a less than point per game in the playoffs as well, but so is everybody in the playoffs. He is fifth all time in playoffs goals per game though. Which wow. is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, well, then, like when when they got to the playoffs, he would elevate his game, and like that Bruins team was, you know, uh, they had Oates and I think they had Janney at one point, so they always had like a good yeah. dishing center. But like, yeah, they had Janney, and then they had Oates, every yeah. play where they scored, it was Neely or Bork or both were involved in like an awesome scoring play. Like they they really drove that team. Yeah. Um. So adjusted. Here's something interesting. And I, I understand that adjusting for era is just a calculation. It doesn't mean anything. But if you had to guess between Peter Bonder and Cam Neely, who had the better adjusted 82 game average, who would you guess? Well, now that you phrase it like that, probably Bonder. But I would have guessed Neely yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. So Bonder, according to the calculation, it's just a calculation. It's no actual. It has no context. Uh, Bonder's is 76 points and Neely's is 71 um, but you know, it is just a calculation. So, Bill, are you ready to get tortured? Uh, sure, go. So, we have one trade to discuss, and that trade is when, in their infinite wisdom, the Vancouver Canucks traded Glenn Neely and a first round pick that became, I said, Glenn Neely, sorry, Cam Neely. Yeah, that's about, but the reason I say. The reason I said Glenn is because the first round pick was Glenn Wesley for Barry Peterson when Barry Peterson was basically no longer any good. Yeah. Or, well, he was getting to be no longer any good. Yeah, well, the, the thing, he put up like a bunch of points the season they traded for him. I know that. Yeah. Well, no, he actually, actually, I say that his, actually his first two seasons in Vancouver, at least by points per game, were actually fine. Um, yeah, he put up. You're, you're trading a young up-and-coming guy for a guy who's probably about to decline. Yeah. Um, you know, Vancouver did and, really dumb stuff like that. They were not very good in the, in that era. And, and he was he always, was two seasons off of his like best season ever, mm. and one of which had been shortened by injury. So you know. Yeah. 
So it's a classic case of a team giving up on a player because they they were a first round pick and they have really high expectations and the fan base sort of sours on them and they make the move and then the guy gets you know a, a fresh slate to start off with without people criticizing because don't forget in that era too it was like if you got injured a lot of people were like oh you're a wimp kind of thing like they were really dumb that way um, but it's so, also like it's just i mean obviously they may not have drafted glenn wesley with that first round pick we'll never know but like yeah. it's like extra salt in the wound that like oh. the guy who got drafted with the pick played a thousand whatever games yeah, I don't absolutely. Well, he, was a, he was an important part of those teams as well for Boston. Sorry, 1,457 games specifically. Yeah. I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's, it's part of the problem with running a hockey team, and Vancouver's pretty bad at it most of the time, um, that management, you know, will trade away a player like that and bring in a more established player because they're trying to save their own job, right? they get yeah. into the playoffs and make, you know, win around, they're going to stick around. If they don't, they're like, well, yeah, I treated Neely, but like, you know, I tried to save my own job. Like they don't care about the future. And that's, you know, we're, you know, keeping a GM for a long time is probably a really good move, provided you have a good one. Vancouver's doing that now, but they have a bad one. <laughs> so, yeah. it, in, uh, in Vancouver's defense, they traded Neely for a player who was at the time better than Neely, but... But yeah. Neely was 21. He actually turned 21 on the day of the trade, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, trade uh, him on his birthday. That won't piss him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they traded him on his birthday. Yeah, he turned 21. And so, like, and Barry Peterson was 25, which is young. But yeah. uh, for Barry Peterson, it turned out was not that young because his, yeah. his, his best years were when he was, like, 21 and 22, yeah. um, which Cam Neely's were not. Um, anyway, sorry to bring it up, but it, it's... It's, it's a tough one. Had, had they hung on to a guy like Neely, then maybe they, maybe they would have been able to uh, win a couple of cups in the early '90s when the rest of the team was amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine. I mean, I know they're very different players, but imagine Burray and Neely on the same, uh, obviously on different lines. Yeah. But uh, on the same team. Yeah, it'd be pretty. You know? yeah, be pretty cool. yeah. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> You, you know what? I, I don't have any ill will towards uh, towards Cam Neely or the I'm sure as I've been talking about those the Bruins team of that era with uh, with Bork and those guys I have no ill will towards those Bruins. It's the current Bork um, yeah. and all of the Bruins since about 2010 that I really dislike. <laughs> Before that, I had, I had no ill will towards the Bruins whatsoever. One of my uncles was a huge Bruins fan, so I I grew up not like cheering against them. It's only now. <laughs> um. So. He only ever won one trophy, and that was the Masterton in '94 when he uh, he had the you know he'd come back from some serious serious knee problems. Um, Bill and I uh, disagreed in '94 about who should win the Hart Trophy, and Bill, you felt like it was Neely's to win. Yeah. Um, and so I have it in the notes. He's our disputed mvp for 94 and our disputed best player i was voting for i believe fedorov that year um yeah but, you'll never catch me voting for him I, I, no i know i know but at the same time i know if neely didn't get hurt what was was it uh, was it 15 49 or 15 44 it's 15 49 yeah still like nobody nobody had done that like i think he yeah. might be the only guy who did that in my lifetime so it's like it's an incredible. Well, and so that brings us to something that drives Bill crazy, which is this hilarious Cam Neely is not on the official 50 
goals in 50 games list because he did it in his team's 66th game, even though it was only his 50th game. Yeah, it is really it doesn't make any sense. Um, but he so he's one of only eight players to score 50 and 50, 50 and 50 in the unofficial list. The official list of 50 in the first in the team's first 50 games is like three players or something like that. But um, there's only eight who did what he did. Um, and so that that has a lot to do with his Hall of Fame case, I think, um, because yeah. it's worth noting uh, that like he he never he never finished higher than ninth in Hart Trophy voting, and that was in that year. Now that's because he missed so many games that year. But like, here's another funny thing. And again, I'm not I'm not making a valid judgment. I'm just pointing this out. Peter Bondra finished higher in Hart Trophy voting in one season than Cam Neely ever did. Man. Which is interesting to think about. Well, may, not... may, may, maybe Bork was always finishing above him. They saw him. As oh like, yeah, like well that. that I mean that. When we talk about Bork next episode, we will see that he finished in Hart uh, top five in Hart Trophy voting a bunch of times. Um, you know, it's really weird. I I always thought he was a little bit overrated, and it's, I don't know why. <laughs> I really don't know why. Like, I know he's great. It just, I don't know, something about it. It's like, nah, he's not one of the top five. And people will just, they get so mad at me when I do that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a one so clip. Like, but anyway, we can talk about that next episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, anyway, I just, I, it's interesting to me that, like, there are a couple things here that are suggesting, and again, I am not saying this. There are a couple things here that are suggesting that Bondra was the better player, and I don't actually think that's true. But I find it interesting because I think some of the like, some of the one of the reasons there was sort of a mythology built up around Neely after he his career ended because of the way it ended. That I'm not sure is completely borne out by a the stats. Because, like I said, he's not even a point per game player. But B, like, he didn't have a lot. He he had more. Like the one thing you can say is he had way more end of season All Star team finishes than Bondra did. But the fact that he only finished ninth in Hart Trophy voting ever says something about what people thought of him at the time. I'm not saying they're correct. I often regularly get pissed off about what the writers voted for. But <laughs> it's in, it's interesting. Um. So uh, he uh, he scored 55 goals once, of course. He scored 50 goals three times. Um, he was top five in goals twice. And he led the league in goals per game. And when he did, it was a ridiculous one goal per game that he was scoring, <laughs> which is insane. Yeah. Um, like I said, he had uh, a, a couple uh, end-of-season All-Star appearances. He was a uh, second-team All-Star four times, which is quite good. Never first, which is interesting. Like even the season he scored fifty goals in forty-nine games, which is doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. Um, he uh, he. Um, sorry, I was just say also the versus X peak thing. Uh, it says his best seven seasons. Uh, he's sixty-fifth all time in terms of goals, but that keeping in mind that he missed so many games that had he been healthy, he probably would have been a lot higher up on that list. Because, I mean, this is a guy who never played in... I think the most games he ever played in a season was 76. And he only played in five seasons where he made it into 70 games out of his uh, 13-year career. Which is not very many. So, uh, lastly, we have um, his great teams. He was uh, 
the best player by points on the Boston Bruins who went to the finals but lost. And he was a top three forward by points on the 88 Bruins who also lost in the finals. And on the 91 Bruins who lost in the conference finals. And he also won a Memorial Cup in 83 with the Portland Winterhawks. But as far as I could tell, he wasn't the best player on that team, but it was hard to, it was hard to tell. Um, so I have no problem with him being in the Hall of Fame, but I do, as someone who didn't watch him, because I was, in 1993, he didn't play, and that was like the only hockey, like I watched the Leafs, that was it. And they were in the other conference at the time, weirdly. Um, but uh, as someone who didn't watch a lot of him, I do find the legend and like the actual stats are kind of a little bit at odds with each other. Um, and it, it's sorry, I said he wasn't a point per game player. Yeah, yeah, he isn't. Okay, just checking. I got yeah. confused there for a second. Barely, he's slightly under. Um, he was more than a point per game player with the Bruins. That's where I got confused. Yeah, he had, wait, it's, it's almost like he he those years in Vancouver, he was you know sort of just developing still. Um, they probably put him in the NHL a bit too early, but I think a lot of teams sort of, if you were a first round pick sort of did that back then, um, because you were supposed to be the next big thing for that team. Um, so it, you know, maybe it's, um, thing where if you only look at him when he played in Boston, you're like, holy shit, like this guy. He's a slam dunk hall of famer. If you only look at that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where everybody remembers him from. So it's like those early years of his career. If you know, in a in a perfect world, he probably could have been playing in the minors and then be brought up to the big club when he's ready. Um, you know, Vancouver probably rushed him, uh, and then by the time he actually was ready, he wasn't no longer a Canuck. So um, yeah, because he played but he played like two hundred games before he was uh, before he was twenty one. Yeah, well, that's it. He's playing as an 18, 19, 20-year-old. And in those days, like now, players come in and they're they're ready. And in those days, it was like, yeah, you're still a boy playing against men. <laughs> that's kind of the way the league worked. Like when you came in as a young player, you got bounced around really, really hard. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the guys had that, you know, crazy man strength. And you're like, uh, I'm a skinny teenager and I, I'm really good at hockey, but I don't really work out. And these guys have like been playing for years and working out and you know like they're they're pretty strong and mean um so yeah. it's, it's kind of a different move back then uh, in terms of that kind of stuff but to, to me what puts neely in for sure is like that sort of i always take this argument and you know football fans will understand and everybody who doesn't watch football won't but like gail sayers was a really famous football player and i think he only played eight seasons but every year he played like when he wasn't hurt he was absolutely brilliant and you couldn't stop the guy it's yep. like Neely was that kind of player. He was going to, you know, point a game, power forward, hit everything that moved, like real tough guy, and and could really put the puck in the net, and that was super, super valuable. Um, and then had that very brief flash where he scored his 50 and 49. It's like, this guy is incredible. But yep. it was little flashes of brilliance, you know, because he just always kept getting hurt, and I, I don't think we can hold that against him. It's not his fault oh. he kept getting hurt. Um, just the way the, the league was and apparently, you know, his knees were you know, he, he got knee jobbed a couple of times where, you know, very famously off Samuelson um, but he had knee problems his whole career so it's like, it wasn't wasn't anything he was doing, he just happened to get hurt quite a bit and maybe it was the style of play, you know, that power forward style of play you do tend to uh, take a lot more bumps, bruises and sometimes injuries but 
um, you know, when he, when, he, when he was playing and at full health, like you can see how damn good he was. And to me, it's the, the you know, the longevity thing, unless it's like, um, like I think a longevity for me can be a plus where it can put a guy over the top for me when I realize how consistently and long he did the thing that he did without like any dips whatsoever. That like usually impresses me. But if a guy got hurt and didn't end up playing as many years and some people, it's like, he only played eight seasons. He can't be and be like, uh, yeah, he can. When you're that good for those eight seasons, yeah, he can go in. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so for, for me, Neely's like a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Plus, he's Seabass from Dumb and Dumber. So, I mean, he's got to get <laughs> extra points for that, too, right? Um, I, uh, like, I, I think, I think you're, what you said about Vancouver is, is really interesting and I hadn't thought about it before and I think you're dead on. They brought him in too early. And one of the things I would point to, to confirm that, cause again, I did, I wasn't watching hockey when like, like Bill, I was a toddler. Um, well toddler in a, in a, like, you know, the last year I was there, we were, you, you were five. probably already five feet. <laughs> um, the, uh, the thing is, like, he he had a, a slightly higher shooting percentage in in Boston than he did in Vancouver, but he took so many more shots when he got to Boston. Like, yeah. he took his he took 140 shots in his in his highest season in Vancouver, and then when he was in Boston, the first uh, five seasons that he was there, he had no fewer than 200. Well, he's yeah, constantly he was shooting with an actual good team because Vancouver. Yeah. Shot. Well, yeah, clearly he was getting he was getting more opportunities, but I wonder how much of this also was uh, was him like finding a way to get to the net more in a way yeah, that he well, didn't when he was you know younger. You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, but probably a lot of it has to do with actually playing with guys who get in the puck in a scoring position too. Where you know Vancouver was really not very good during that era. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like up until the early 90s the only time they had ever been good was that 82 sort of miracle run like a total cinderella run through the playoffs other than that they were hot garbage which which always brings me to the most frustrating thing about being outside we've never picked number one overall we've been consistently a terrible franchise for most of our history <laughs> at least at least a good half of our years we've been like wow the canucks are so bad like i wonder who is playing with <laughs> I was just looking at like what his best season with the Canucks. He put up 39 points. He was a 19-year-old. And I just wonder who he was playing with, whether it was McNabb or Graydon or Sundstrom. I assume it was Graydon or Sundstrom. But um, anyway. <laughs> it's, it certainly wasn't a guy like Adam Oates, let's put it that way. <laughs> no, that's true. Or or even Craig Janney, who was a center yeah. when he first got there. Yeah. Um, so last up, we have someone who, honestly, I have no idea what to do with. Um, and that is Valerie Karlamov, who had never played a single game in the NHL in his career and is in the Hall of Fame, I think it's safe to say, for scaring the shit out of Team Canada in the 72 um, Super Series or whatever we're calling it, um, Summit. Um, and, and so much so that, you know, Bobby Clark uh, injured him on purpose um, so that he wouldn't play as much. And he, he was regarded by many people, many Canadian players and media at that time as the best Russian player. And I have no um, skin in this game. I have no, uh, I was not alive when this happened, but one of the things that's interesting about this, of course, is that like so many of these 
these ideas, he when you look at his numbers, he was not the best player, at least offensively. Like he might have been a a, a good all round player, you know, but like. Um, he was regularly, uh, like uh, he was, he was only, um, I think he was third in points or second in points on that team, um, on the summit series. Um, but, um, or sorry, he was, uh, yeah. And then, uh, but I mean, that might've been because of the injury. I don't know. And then he was also third in points in the, um, on the one they won against the WHA. Um, he only, uh, of the, uh, various Olympic, uh, championship and runner-up teams, he was on. He only led one of those teams in points in the World Championships, which he won a bunch of World Championships because that's what happened back then. The USSR won a whole bunch. He was uh, he was only the best player by points once, mm-hmm. and the rest of the time he he had he scored less. I again, I don't know. He might have been doing other things, but the idea that he was the best Russian player of his era is a little undercut by the fact that like he led the Soviet League in goals twice. He led the league in assists once. He led the league in points once, and he was in the league for ten years, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. On the other hand, many people insist he was the best player. Um, there is. It's funny. There was a. I think someone, someone who was probably not alive in '72 or was very young in '72, actually looked up his stats and then wrote a hit piece on him as the most overrated hockey player in the history of the sport uh, a number of years ago. Because I guess presumably because they like you don't go out. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say presumably they looked at his numbers, saw he was he rarely led the league in in uh, sports and or in in points, and was like, wait a minute, and so went out and wrote something. Um, Yeah, with sort of having seen his whole career, kind of thing. Well, the thing is too, like it's. You know, when when you look at like if you if you have any of those like Summit Series videos or you watch, um, you know, uh, Canada, you know, or hockey, a people's history where it's mostly about Canadian hockey, uh, they have a whole like episode dedicated to the Summit Series. And when the guys talk about it, they are just, oh, man, like they talk about like him. They're just like that guy was fast and hard to play against. Like they just they. They had a really hard time handling him. Now, I don't know what, you know, if he was a hard hitter, um, just, all, you know, always like, you know, one of those like annoying guys to play against is always back checking, lifting your stick, hooking you here. Yeah, like, they all talk about, everybody talks about his stick handling. Yeah. So um, I, I just, I just know that like, you know, the, the infamous story where somebody on the bench said to Bobby Clark, like that guy's killing us. Somebody ought to go break his ankle. He's like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so for them to target him as he's the guy that's driving us crazy, it's like he must have been something else, right? Because the those were the best players in the world right then. And like, I mean, almost everybody who played for Team Canada, with the exception of Paul Henderson, are pretty much Hall of Famers. So, yeah. um, so I'll, I'll just read a couple uh, things um, because I I don't know what to say. Um, Ron Ellis says he's one of the most gifted hockey players I've ever played against. Um, let me find Scotty Bowman. He was such a great player in 72 series. He was a great stick handler. He was close to Cornier style at his prime. Guy Lafleur said, I think he was the greatest of the Russians I've ever seen or played against. I haven't really seen too many people as good as him with the puck. Um, Herb Brooks, at one time, he was one of the top half dozen players in the world. He was an exciting, creative player. Ken Dryden, you 
you couldn't take your eyes off Karlamov for a second when he was on the ice. I realized this after our first meeting in the fall of 72 when he scored two goals on me. His shots were hard, accurate, and most dangerous, often unexpected. Um, and then there's a whole, uh, this page I'm reading them from, there's also a whole bunch of, of quotes from uh, uh, Russians as well, many of whom I've never heard of before. Um, but here's something Karlamov himself said. If a 100-kilogram defenseman is standing still and I rush at him, my kinetic energy is greater. All that matters is to catch the moment when he relaxes and to take him by surprise. And for this, it's necessary to make him believe that I'm not going for a collision, that I'm trying to avoid it. And then I push him. The ability to what the opponent is needed here just the same. Um, he seems like he was smart. Yep. Really based smart. on, sort of based like, on yeah, talking sort of like about that. kinetic energy, yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, right? Like, it's like... Um like what made datsuk so damn good like he yeah. he was so strong on the puck and you're like you don't look like that big of a guy but he's really smart there was like a, i saw a video where he's like right at the end of his career he may have already even retired from the red wings and he was doing like a hockey kids camp and he was showing one of the kids like you're up against the board and the guy's gonna try to come in and pin you but if you use the blade of your stick against the boards and push back on that he's not going to be able to slam you into the boards like that you're going to be able to hang on to the puck it was like so you've learned how to use your stick for leverage so that you can't get pushed into the boards because it makes you so much stronger when you do that. And it's like, that's pretty clever. Like, that's uh, that's a whole other level. Not a lot of guys figure stuff like that out. So, Well, since you mentioned that, someone else, one of the Russians in that thing, I, in that post I was reading mentioned that, like, you would, he said you'd watch Karlamov and he'd do something and you'd think, I never thought of that. So, yeah, and so, I mean, like, the... the those the, the the players like that they just think the game differently like they're always sort of one step ahead and they think of something creatively that you would never think of right and it's um i remember talking to my uncle once because i just started playing hockey and uh i was playing defense and i switched from forward to defense after my first year and my uncle had played defense for many many years and he taught me this great little trick he said if you're going into the corner and you're, you know, you're playing contact. There's a guy, you know, who's running all the defensemen and really hitting people. When you go back to get the puck, make sure you, you look in the glass. And that's something Gretzky used to do. <laughs> um, you just look in the glass so you can see the guy's reflection. You know if he's coming or not. Um, and I was like, oh, that's really smart. I never would have thought of that. He's like, yeah, it's bailed me out a few times when I knew a big hit was coming. Like, oh, shit, I'm going to, I'm going to like knock the puck away and turn because this yeah. guy's going to kill me. <laughs> it's like, so like little clever things like that and you know guys I think they said mcdavid did it like really early in his career too or maybe it was ryan Nugent hopkins like when he first drafted they're like you know saying like should he be a number one pick and then like he passed right in front of the net and the guy scored and they're like how the hell did you know i was there he's like, i saw you in the glass and it's like oh that's that's pretty good <laughs> so you know the game kind of slows down for some guys and they, they think of things that other people just don't think of and it's yeah. um so, you know, and, and guys said he was kind of a wizard with the puck. So maybe it's like, you know, maybe he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, you know, but he, he you know, knew when to shove guys and all that kind of stuff. And it's um, it's guys like that who know like when to hit guys. Like there's there's some guys in the league who are like little guys, but they're so hard to knock down. You're like, you just sort of, you know, the feel and you know when to hit the other guy or when to like absorb the hit. Like you just sort of have that feel. Some guys are great like that, and other guys just don't have it. And those are the guys who just get crunched in the corner because they just don't have that same sort of feel or, or you know, uh, ways of, you know, not taking a big hit but being able to deliver a pretty good one as well. Um, Duncan Keith's a lot like that. Um, 
he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he can play really tough, and he's like almost impossible to hit. Like, it just drives me crazy because he's not on my goddamn team. So it does uh, seem like Carlo. I watch him play. I'm like, oh yeah. It's it's hard to tell because who the hell knows? I don't know what the penalty stats were in the Soviet League, but he definitely has at least one world championship where he had a lot of penalty minutes. So it yeah. does seem like he did uh, use his body, and obviously there was a, he was talking about it himself. So it does seem like he may have sometimes been physical as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, uh, who, I, like, this is my only concern about him being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame is, is the one that is always my concern, which is precedent. You know, it's like you could make a case – um, at least based on Soviet League stats, if you could find enough of them, that there were better, there are guys who had better stats for the same period yeah. of time. And so then you could argue, in theory, I'm not sure anyone is, but you could argue that that person also belonged in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I don't know that anyone's doing that. I mean, I suspect someone on the internet is doing it somewhere, but um, that's that's the only concern, because it's like, I understand. I know you and I disagreed about Makarov, but I understand with Makarov because he came over and they saw old Makarov, you know, in the NHL. Um, and I understand uh, with Larionov again. Um, you know, there, there's some questions about it, but it because they played in the NHL, there's more of an understanding as to why. But this guy never played. A, you know, this guy was retired in uh, uh, what is it, '81, and uh, and it really does feel, at least to some degree, that the reason he is in is because he, he scared the shit out of Canada in 72. Yeah. Um, and whether or not, you know, and like the guys, uh, Vladimir Petrov, and uh, um, I, he's not in the Hall of Fame, right? And um, and his, I'm talking about the, uh, Carlos' line mates. And um, uh, what's his name? Boris Mikhailov, I guess? Um yeah, they're in the International Hockey Hall of Fame, but they're not in the 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 other one, and so that's interesting. I haven't I haven't gone out and compared their numbers. Um, you know, I don't know. Well, I can do it off the top of my head here. So Mikhailov has uh, um, where where is he? So he's got um, way more points than Karlamov does, but he also played way more games. But like, I could do a rough points per game calculation and i think mikhailov would be higher so there is a potential you know argument i think for other people to be in because of this induction and that would be my only concern but uh, otherwise i mean i didn't watch him play i don't know oh yeah and, and and petrov's numbers are bonkers yeah yeah well it was that it was that whole line together right and, yeah uh, but Petro's got 713 about... points in, in 600 games. So, yeah, it's the, the, that that was the the dominant line when they played against uh, Team Canada in '72, yeah. and uh, you know, but Harlemov was the guy that they they went out and tried to hurt. So, I mean, <laughs> it yeah. says a lot, right? If the whole line was amazing and he was the one that they really tried to take it, although it must be said he was probably the smallest one because he was only about five foot eight, 165 pounds. Uh, he was not a big guy, so. Um, he might have just been the easiest one to take out where they weren't so worried about him coming back and trying to crack them over the head with a stick or something like that. But, um, you know, it's go 
it, it's got to say something about how good the guy is if you're trying to take him out. So um, I think maybe that's sort of the, the argument that most people would make, even if you didn't see him play. You're like, yeah, if you're trying to take out that player, he's super important to that team, you know, and, and you know, stats aren't always everything, too, you know. No. Um, well, and that's the thing, having not seen him play, I don't know. But one of the other things you do notice about this sometimes is like, and I, I find this is true also with basketball, is what a like a fan or an analyst thinks is good is not always the same as what a player thinks is good. That's true. That's you know, true. Look, you get a lot of like um, one of the things that like uh, there'll be players polls. Uh, not to get too far off the subject, but there'll be like players polls in basketball about like the best players, and they're uh, at certain things, and and they're often very different than who uh, the media would vote for. Um, and, and sometimes it's like, you're like, why? And like the, the, the basketball answer is usually, well, he can score from anywhere on the floor. So I'm terrified of him, you know? Yeah. And it's like, even, even if his like three point percentage is like 30 and not very good, they're still like worried about it. Whereas like a, an analyst would look at like that number and be like, why are you worried? You know? Um, and I don't know how much true that is with, uh, Karlamov and, and, um, and how much like it was potential they were seeing in addition to what he was actually doing or the threat of what he could do or whatever it was in addition to what, what he actually did. Because, you know, like I said at the beginning, he didn't, he's only led a few tournaments in points and a few, he only led the Soviet league in points once. But like you said, Bill stats aren't everything. Yeah. And stats aren't everything. And maybe, you know, he elevated his game playing against uh, team Canada because he knew how big it was and, you know, maybe played his best in that tournament. So there, there could be that as well. Um, and it's, it's one of those things too, like, like you were talking about, you know, what, what, uh, what coaches and players see um, and what, uh, you know, a fan sees are usually two different things. Um, you know, the players and the coaches notice all the little things, and we tend to just notice, you know, the goals, the points, the, you know, all the stuff that sort of, you know, gets your attention. Well, if you really, really watch a hockey game, like when you go live and in person, it makes a huge difference too, right? Like yep. seeing it on TV, they they do a pretty good job of showing you on replays when a player does something sort of like neat or like key to the game, but it's like a little detail. It's why like Don Cherry was so popular too, right? He'd sort of show these like intricate little things that happen within the game that it's like, you know, most people don't notice this. It doesn't show up on the score sheet, but like that's an important thing. Um, you know, but and when you watch the game live in person, you notice a lot of little things and you'll see some players sometimes that guy doesn't have a point, doesn't record a penalty minute. And you're like, that guy played awesome all game. Like he was such a pain in the ass to play against. And so I guess, you know, for the players and the coaches who are always at ice level, they notice a lot more of that stuff than, than yeah. most people do, you know? So, well, and, and, and like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not anywhere as near as experienced. I mean, I never played for one thing, so I'm not as experienced as you, but I also like, I haven't watched as much hockey as you or, or, or these players and all this stuff. But I do know, like I definitely, especially when I used to walk, watch hockey every night, which I used to for years, but haven't in a long time. Um, you know, I do know when a player's sometimes when a player is having an impact on the game without scoring, you know, like I, I think yeah. of like, um, for some reason, one one playoff perform um, run of Keith Primo always pops into my head when I think about this. When I go back and look at his numbers, and he had like I don't know, it was like uh, it was he wasn't even playing a point a game 
hockey. Now this was in the early two thousands, but he, I just remember watching him being like, "Oh my god, like he's unstoppable." And like yeah, the, yeah, that I, way, despite if you go back and you look at the numbers, people will be like, "What the hell are you talking about, Riley?" No, and you had to watch those games. He was he was the whole team. Like it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But like I, I mean, there's and there's been many, many players like that, and so I do understand that argument. I just because I didn't watch, because mm-hmm. I was, I was minus nine when this happened. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, I, I, and I've never actually sat down and watched the whole like, like the whole series or anything. Um, like I just don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. and uh, and that's true actually of all the players we're talking about today. I didn't watch them enough. You know, I only I only saw Bondra to any degree, and I really can't say I paid much attention when I saw him. Um, partly because he was usually on shitty teams when I was watching him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, so uh, so how do you feel about uh, Karlov being in? Um, I've I've sort of said this before about some of the players who've gotten in without actually playing in the NHL that they should be in the IIHF Hockey Hall of Fame and not the nhl hall of fame but the nhl doesn't define the hockey hall of fame that way it's the hockey hall of fame so they do include international players which i'm not in favor of but since they do uh yeah harlem should totally be in okay um yeah i mean i you know i I already said my concern is just oh yeah the other thing we got to think of sorry i I forgot to mention is he died young yes and 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 one thing we always got to think of with this stuff is that this sounds awful, but you can never underestimate the degree uh, dying young plays into myth making. Um, yeah. And you, if you all you if you doubt me, go into the music world and 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 read yeah. anything about anyone who was in the so-called Twenty Seven Club or who died slightly older than that, and there will just be endless stuff about their potential, even though they were already in their late twenties. Um, anyway. <laughs> Well, pe- people do typically get better, but um, no, I know. But it's like yeah. it's the the something about us human beings mm-hmm. when people die before they're supposed to, before we think they're supposed to, before the average person, we imagine huge amounts of potential stuff happening that yes. didn't, and it's really oh, yeah. easy to do that. Whereas when you watch the person decline, whether it's artistically or athletically, you don't do that. You don't yeah. think about all the things that could have been to the same degree. Anyway, it's just it's just another thing to think about with why he might be in compared to other people. Um, and it was like it was a I think it was not a nice death if I remember a car accident. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I mean, my only objection is the same that I said earlier, which is that you know it you could totally look at like Petrov's and Mikhailov's. Um, numbers and some other people probably and argue that they belong to as a result but yeah well, I mean, no yeah. nobody seems to be doing that so that's okay yeah but 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 since um you know since you know some of those russian players you know tretsyak and and harlamov are in from from that era and you know makarov's in and so to me it's like yeah if those guys were the primo russian players from that era and we know they definitely were good enough to play in the nhl like no question i don't since you've opened that Pandora's box, I don't have a problem with putting in uh, Petrov and Mihailov at all. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, like now that it's open, I disagree with it. But now that it's open, I'm like, well, I don't see a reason to keep them out now if you've already decided that's how you're going to run your Hall of Fame. So. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Plus, plus, I really want to hear Esposito give Mihailov's uh, speech at the Hall of Fame because uh, 
he said one of the funniest things I've ever heard when I was watching one of those uh, Summit Series clips. And he's like, he's like, oh, Mihailov? Yeah. Oh, that guy. Jeez. What a face on him. That guy's so ugly he has to sneak up on a glass of water to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, dude, where did you come up with that one? <laughs> Am I, so I'm mispronouncing it. The K-H is an H? I, I think so. I think it's Mihailov. Like Mihailov, and this, and he's Harlamov. Okay. Whoops. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that's the way I've always heard it. Um, yeah. I think it's just like like the K is there, but it's sort of said so like subtly and briefly yeah, that yeah. it's kind of not there. So. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Whoops. Like it's Harlamov. Like there's a yeah. little. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I am by no means uh, an expert on Russian pronunciation. Uh, my Russian accent derives from. Uh, Yakov Smirnov mixed with a little bit of uh, John Malkovich from Rounders. So do not quote <laughs> Russian pronunciation. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're better with languages than I am. So, uh, all right. So um, to wrap up, P- Peter Bondra, yay or nay? Uh, I, I think he's got a case. I'm going to say just barely yes. I'm going to say no, but I'd listen to an argument. Yes. Cam Neely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And Harlamov. Uh, given the way that the Hall of Fame has trended in terms of admitting uh, international players based on their international uh, record, then yes, he should be in. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm. If the if the Hockey Hall of Fame wants to be a, a worldwide Hockey Hall of Fame, I'm definitely fine with him being in there. All right. Yeah. So that's it for us uh, this episode, and we have. Um, Next episode is the uh, is going to be the 2004 class, which is all defensemen. Um, Interesting. So that'll be fun, um, and and not particularly full of any controversy. Sorry to say, but anyway, we hope you will tune in for that one, and we will see you then. Take care.